chapter 14, Isaiah 14, and look at verse number 24, Isaiah 14, verse number 25. I'm hearing a little song here. Somebody playing a little song somewhere? Isaiah 14, 24, and uh, sing that with me, or sing, don't sing it with me, read it with me, right? Let's read it in, uh, in unison, Isaiah 14, 24, ready? The Lord of hosts hath sworn, saying, surely as I have thought, so shall it come to pass. And as I have purposed, so shall it stand. Now turn over to Isaiah 46. Wouldn't be a bad idea. Well, no, uh, I was going to say to keep a marker there, but only for your own edification. We're probably not going to go back there together, but uh, you want to mark that reference down because there's some powerful statements in there. Isaiah 46 next, Isaiah 46. Isaiah 46, and as you're still turning, let me urge you when you read your Bible to just really slow down and pay attention to the individual statements that are being made. I'm always alarmed when I read my Bible and I say, man, I've, I know I've read that statement 50 times in my life. I'm talking about in some remote place like, uh, you know, uh, Zephaniah. I know I've read that 100 times. How is it that I missed that? Now, it's absolutely true that God may have uh, something for me today that he didn't have for me last time I read it. But at the same time, I think sometimes we miss things that are right there because we're just so we can make, off, make our check mark instead of soaking it in. All right? Isaiah 46, verses 9 and 10. Read this with me. Ready? Remember the former things of old, for I am God, and there is none else. I am God, and there is none like me. Declaring the end from the beginning. Time out. Who else can do that? When he starts out, he's going to tell you how this thing's going to end. Well, there's, there's a trademark exclusive to God right there. Okay. Declaring the end from the beginning, let's keep going. And from ancient times, the things that are not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand, and I will do all my pleasure. Now, notice in there, there's, there's God's counsel, which is God's saying how something should be done. There is his pleasure, which is his, his will, what he desires. And he says, I will do. That's God's actions. So we have multiple aspects of the person of God there. His desires, his counsel or his words, and his actions. All right? One last passage, Daniel chapter 4. Daniel chapter 4. Now, every word of Scripture comes from God. That's absolutely important, essential to remember. It is also important to remember that there is a human aspect. There is a story behind the writing. And there's no conflict in the two any more than there's a conflict between the fact that God is Jesus is 100% God and 100% man. No interference, no conflict there. There's no conflict between the fact that your Bible is 100% God's Word, but it's also 100% a collection of uh, of the words written as a result of man's experiences. No, man's not the author of one single word of the Bible. But the writers were not just secretaries. They lived these things. 
and they experienced these things. The words that they wrote down were the words that God wanted them to write down, verbatim. But, first of all, I don't know for sure. The Bible doesn't say that they always knew that they were writing under revelation or inspiration. But when David wrote the things that he wrote, and I was just listening to Pastor Bish's message again a couple of days ago, when he wrote the words that Pastor Bish described to us, he didn't just write down the words that God said. He wrote them down, and he had experience. So there was his passion in there. There was his heart in there. And it's helpful for us to remember that. Okay, I've said that now because Daniel chapter 4 was penned by Nebuchadnezzar. These are the words of Nebuchadnezzar. Now, Daniel may have actually held the pen, but the words, the words are God's. Your pastor, really, you're really making my hair hurt right now. All these elements are part of it. The words are God's words. The experience was Nebuchadnezzar's. And the words, though they are God's, they do express Nebuchadnezzar's opinion. Before we read the verse, what was the great challenge in Nebuchadnezzar's life? Nebuchadnezzar was the most high ruler on the planet. He had an ego as big as the earth itself. I rule the world. And God reduced him to an animal. For what purpose? God was doing him a favor. By the way, when God reduces you to knock the pride out of you, he's doing you a favor. He's doing me a favor. Not doing me a favor when he does it to you. I'm saying when he does it to me, he's doing me a favor. When he does it to you, he's doing you a favor. Because your pride is your great enemy. So when he reduces us, he's doing us a great favor. And what a wonderful work of grace that God did this to Nebuchadnezzar. And God sticks his face in the dirt. And then when he comes back and he's been reduced to nothing, he testifies. One of the things he says is those who are proud, he's able to abase. But look at what he says in verse number 35. Nebuchadnezzar is talking about God after he's come through this unbelievable experience in humility. Verse 35, read it with me, ready? And all the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing. And he doeth according to his will in the army of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And none can stay his hand or say unto him, what doest thou? Wow. He doeth according to his will. So there we have again God's actions. And God's desires or God's plans. So with those three passages, four verses all together in mind, let me give you some thoughts about the works of God. We've talked for weeks and weeks about the attributes of God. Let's talk tonight about the works of God. Number one, the works of God are always completely consistent with the character of God, the purposes of God, 
the ways of God and the word of God. Just about everybody, every human being is either trying to figure out what God's doing or using their estimation of what God is doing as the reason why there can't be a God. I'm trying to remember where this story came from before I tell it. Oh, yeah, it's, it's good. Um, lady called my wife within the last couple of days. And uh, it's a lady my, my wife's been working with with some very, ser- very extremely serious problems from, from way across the country. And, but the lady called yesterday and she said, my, my son has had some uh, challenges about his salvation. Could you talk to him about his salvation? So my wife got on the phone with a, I don't know, 11 or 12-year-old boy, 12-year-old boy. And the boy said, you know, he said, when I was eight years old, because of things that I'd seen going on around me, I decided there can't be a God. An eight-year-old boy. By the way, in a Christian home, in a Bible-believing church, I decide there can't be a God with all this going on. He said, I know now that that's not true. Twelve years old now. I know now that that's not true. But he said, I do, I do battle severe doubts about my salvation. My wife was able to walk him through that and help him. But imagine an eight-year-old boy. That just really struck me. An eight-year-old boy saying, With all that I see going on in my life, in my family, in my church, there can't be a God. Now, first of all, by the way, just as far as that situation goes, I'm not sure that an eight-year-old boy makes that leap without some help. In other words, I'm not sure that somebody didn't plant that thought in his head, maybe an unsaved relative or something. Maybe somebody who was trying to, you know, I've had relatives, maybe you have too, lost relatives who are trying to pull you away from your family's faith. And uh, maybe that happened, that boy, I don't know. But what I'm saying is, how many grown-ups have you met? How many scholars have I heard saying, well, uh, considering the various and the bigger, there, there can't possibly be a God. Well, here's the point that I'm making about that. No matter what your conclusion is about that, it's amazing that we're all trying to figure that out. In other words, okay, Mr. Scholar, great conclusion, you brilliant man, but you were thinking about it. You were thinking about the works of God. You came to a very foolish conclusion, but you were thinking about the works of God. I think every human being, to some extent, thinks about the work of God. Even the child, even the young man or young lady that grows up in the middle of a continent where there is no gospel witness, he still looks at creation and says, hmm, I wish I knew more about the great spirit or the son or whoever he thinks God is. It is a part of mankind to try to figure out what God is doing. And so we're going to talk about the works of God. And you can gain huge insight into how God works. 
they sang a few minutes ago, they referenced, I, don't, I think you caught it, uh, the second verse is talking about 9-11. My wife wrote that song, by the way. Talking about 9-11 and that warm September morning. And probably the, the event of my lifetime that caused people to say, what is God doing more than any other is 9-11, although every tragedy caused people to say, where was God? What was God doing? It's amazing, you've heard me say this before, but it was amazing that um, the most profound explanation of that came from, we, we didn't have cable at the time, and, and uh, I went down to my, to my parents because I wanted to see what they were saying on the, on the news about all this. I, don't, I, don't, I, think it, it was, uh, I think it was that night, if I'm not mistaken, maybe the next night. or But anyway, Charlie Daniels was a guest on, on uh, the, uh, Hannity and Combs back then. And Charlie Daniels gave the most profound explanation that I heard. And that was this. He said, what we saw, I'm pretty sure it was actually 9-11 because I remember him saying what we saw today. What we saw today was God taking his hand of protection off of America for a couple of hours and then right away putting his hand back on. And America found out what it feels like to not be under God's protection as we have been for these last 200 years. Now, you know, we can critique everybody's statement to death, so don't, don't go too deep. And I say, well, the fact is, that's pretty close to accurate. Coming from a country singer, um, How is it that he could say something so profound? Because his relationship with God, and he is a born-again Christian, and I've met him, and I asked him about his faith, and he's a born-again Christian. His relationship with God taught him about how God works. Listen to me, Christian. You can have insight into how God's work works. It doesn't make you a prophet. It doesn't allow you to stand up and say, Thus saith the Lord, I make a proclamation. No, don't go there. For your own personal understanding, I may not know exactly what God's doing, but I know he would never do this. I know he always does this. So let me give you some parameters here, quickly. I've I've said that already. The more I say quickly, the longer the message is, right? The works of God are always completely consistent with the character of God, the purposes of God, the ways of God, the word of God, all right? These four, God's character, God's purposes, God's ways, and God's word, though distinct from one another in their definitions, are one in their principles and their focus. So let me give you their definitions. First of all, God's character. That's what we've been studying for three or four months or five. God's character is who God is, the eternal attributes of God. God's purposes, that's what God is doing, the eternal will of God for his creation. God's ways, that's how God does it. It's the methods that God uses in executing his will. And then there's God's word. That's what God has said. God's revelation of himself to man. Of these four, the one that is most accessible to us, well, no, the two that are most accessible to us are his word and his character. 
and his word reveals his character to us. The two that elude us are his ways and his purposes. Even though they are revealed to us in his word to some extent, we also know that just when we think we've got God's ways figured out, he does something that we never would have imagined. Have you had God done, do something in your life at some point that you never would have imagined that he'd have do, done it that way? Absolutely. Because his ways are past finding out. His ways are not our ways. I will show unto you great and mighty things which thou knowest not. All right. I have a problem. God has a solution. How in the world is God going to do this? You don't know. Here's what you do know. You know his character. You know his word. You know some of his works because you know his track record. You know, to some extent, you know his purposes. So you put together God's character, what you know about it, through his word. God's purposes, as revealed to us in his word. God's ways shown to us. By the way, that's why the stories of the Bible are so important because you get to see God's ways. It's crazy. You never see God pulling out. I hate to say it this way, but but we'll understand it. You never see God pulling out an old trick. A new problem comes up and God says, let's do it this way this time. But it's always consistent with his character. It's consistent with his word. So, God's character is who he is. God's purpose is what he's doing. His ways are how he does it, and his word is what he has said. I won't always know what God's going to do or how he's going to do it, but I can always know that God will be consistent with his word. So, I wonder if you have anything going in your life right now. i got five or six things right now where I need to know what in the world. God, what in the world are you doing? And I'm anxious for an outcome, anxious for an answer, anxious to see what's, what, what is God doing? Where are you taking me in this? How are you going to solve this? I don't know the answer. But I know this. I know God's word. And I know his character. And so I trust and I obey. And I wait on the Lord. And that's how, that's how it goes. That's how God works. So you have his character, his purposes, his ways, and his word. And when you can't figure out, his character never, none of these things change, his, his, but you can't always figure out, especially on his ways, you can't figure out, how's he doing this thing? Go to, go to what is clear and immerse yourself in it and let God lead you and, tr- and, and show you. And sometimes all you have is trust and obey. And that's what God wants us to have and so he can show you, hey, re- remember you said you couldn't figure out how God was going to fix this problem, but you just trusted him and obeyed him anyway? Commit thy way unto the Lord. Trust also in him, and he shall bring it to pass. David said, wait on the Lord. Be of good courage. 
wait, I say, on the Lord. I don't know the number, but take your song book and let's sing Trust and Obey as we close.